episode 26 of the Metrofan TV Weekly Rundown, coming to you live um, in a bit of a, I don't know, I don't, know, I don't really know how to describe the feeling at this point. Like, <laughs> could you have a word for it? Like, I don't. Do you? I, like. <laughs> um, yes. Just fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's the only, like, fuck, God damn it! Like, that's the only... It's kind of the only way I, I I can describe how this uh, how the, you know these games have kind of been is just like fuck what the fuck I, I, I... It, it kind of sums it up for me I mean three losses on the trot with two of them coming at home is a sentence I don't think I've had to utter for God knows how long actually I don't I don't actually remember the last time I've seen this team lose uh, three games on the trot. Um, so yeah, I mean, like uh, you could definitely make a case that this is definitely probably the worst run of results that we've seen for quite some time. And I don't really think that that's, um, up for debate, but as you, as usual, we making our usual, um, dive into trying to figure out, um, maybe what's going wrong and what can be improved for our, uh, Sunday trip in Kansas city. Uh, I guess we'll begin, and we'll just get straight to it against Minnesota United. I, I mean, despite like you know, as you say, like this feeling of fuck, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> the the fuck feeling. Like I'm gonna sum it up as being, like, it's still really disappointing, like extremely so, to be losing to a team that was dwelling in the cellar of the table last year. That was missing their best playmaker in Darwin Quintero, and um, also missing. They were missing another key player. I can't remember who it was, but um, they were. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh yeah, it was a Miguel. It was a Barra, wasn't it? Miguel Abara, I think. It was. Ah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, basically, like, just cutting straight to the chase. I mean, the results still aren't unacceptable, but at least it wasn't that lifeless shit show that we saw on the road against Chicago. You know, I think like this was a game where you could definitely garner, like I think slightly more positives out of, even though the results aren't quite there yet. You know, at least you saw like uh, the potential for something to be built out of the lineup that we saw on the 11. So to kind of sum it up for everyone, uh, the other, the, the other 7 million podcasts haven't done this at this point. Um, a four triple two or a four four two diamond was unveiled. Uh, I'm not really sure um, what you can describe it as. I thought of it as more as a four triple two, but I've seen it described as a four four two diamond. But regardless, the wrinkle was revealed on the day to be a two striker formation, just something that's been kind of foreshadowed down at Red Bull two. And uh, you know, for the first fifteen to twenty minutes of the game, it worked. You know, I certainly saw like a whole. Um, bunch of uh, really nice things in that opening 15 20 minutes you know like uh, not only was the pressing good the ball movement was crisp the transition play like that the fast ball movement seemed to be coming back there was more support for bwp up front i thought between him and jorgensen he had an, he had more outlets to kind of uh, lay the ball off to and of course i think the main thing that i think caught a lot of people's eyes was the performance of a certain Christian Caceres Jr. 
That's right. Unveiled in the starting lineup for the first, no, sorry, the second time this season. And, you know, I think we'll begin discussion with him because he's been something on, been on a lot of uh, discourse, I think, centered on his performance on Saturday. I mean, like, uh, definitely, probably the man of the match on our side. Not the man of the match in general, but the man of the match on our side. You know, I think he added a lot of that um, bite that's been kind of missing from the midfield so far right this season like Definitely. i certainly liked what i saw from davis and caceres more than what i've seen from davis and reza so far um in terms of interceptions in terms of how caceres's um ball winning ability in midfield allows davis to kind of return to that safety valve role that he had last year with the great success next to tyler adams and you know i think caceres also flashed that really nice um distributive ability that he has like um made a couple of really nice incisive passes from deep through the lines. It makes me kind of think that just a little bit of more seasoning. I think this should be the midfield pairing going forward. Like certainly was a bit more promising because we managed to extol some semblance of control over the midfield, which have kind of been lacking, I think against Chicago and I guess against Orlando. Cause I, but I didn't watch the Orlando game. So I can't really get a conclusion on that. Like, yeah. Thoughts on this pairing? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it, it's so. There were two games last year um, that uh, that kind of stick out to when we got to see the uh, we got to see the Davis. I'm sorry, give me one second here. I'm trying to pull something up here. Yeah. So so one of the big things with with the pairing that we saw last year. Um, was kind of two games where they did well. I'm sorry, one game where they did really well together, and one game where they did absolutely horrific. In. Um, the good the game they did they paired well with uh, Adriza and and Davis was the Atlanta game, and where they absolutely bombed it was against Montreal. And what's interesting is, um. In the in the in in the game against Atlanta, they played out the back, right? That's uh, they were just building out the back, and it's playing how they would normally play. Montreal were a little different, in where you know they were kind of sitting back a lot, and they were kind of just going around in midfield and and building um, a lot from uh, from the outside and kind of countering from the outside and 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 playing a little bit direct. So there were two very distinct styles of play that we got to see them again in their best and their worst. This year, we've seen teams play a lot more direct, not building off the back, playing, you know, just playing very direct, long balls right into the midfield. And I think what we've what we what we've been missing is is someone we've talked about this a million times. I feel like everyone's talked about this, missing that pairing that could that could handle that. And I think at this point it's pretty clear to say that Riza and, and Davis together can't handle when teams play direct or when teams are are kind of trying to go around um, around the midfield a little bit, how how Montreal was playing, having Casters there with 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 Davis, I think is a key to this because we when we got to see it, we got to see what happens when you have that guy um, in the midfield who can who can clean things up, who can win the second balls, who can win the third balls, and that's not something that Sean Davis or and Riza on an individual level can do or together. So when you have someone like Christian Casters there who can do these things, it takes so much pressure off of Sean Davis. And at that point now he can kind of do what he's best at, 
right? He can he can collect the ball and he can help with that with that quick transition. Um, I, I think if if teams are going to be playing this way against us, if they're going to be playing this direct and 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 they're going to do their best to try to bypass the press, if Christian Castro is not on that field, I have very 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 low hopes for the game flat out because I just don't think Sean Davis and Riza combined can can do what we need in the midfield to kind of handle those things. And and just from looking at the games where we saw that where we saw those two pairings, I think we got a glimpse of that last year too. And I think now we're seeing that kind of just being confirmed. So yeah, if a team is going to be playing out the back a little bit, sure. Davis and Rizzo, I think would work perfectly fine. But if you're going to have a team, you know, uh, playing, you know, direct and, and doing all the shit they've been trying to do and, and, you know, trying to just make things a little chaotic for us, not in our favor, then yeah, I, I think Christian Castro showed why he has so much promise, and I think he showed why um, he's so important to the system, and more importantly, why having a player like that, having that Tyler Adams like player who can kind of clean up those things in in in, in, uh, in the midfield when things kind of get a little dirty with with you know again winning those second and third balls, why that like you know why that kind of, why that kind of player is so important. And then you kind of just start to see why this system works, you know. You can and, and you can also see why how easily it gets on un, uh, um, imbalanced because we, the best and worst we looked in this game was when the best we looked is when we had pretty much all the pieces in place that that worked how we want to play, right? When we was in there, uh, still uh, when when Castris was in there, you know. We saw them able to 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 win the ball, and we were able to see them. We were able to see Wheel kind of help out with some of the pressing in the midfield. But we also were able to see them. What happens when you have guys in there who can create that quick transition when you do win those balls and move forward? Once Wheel got hurt and Rory went in there, you now saw a guy who disrupted that. So yeah, even though you still had uh, Castris in there to kind of win those you know second and third balls and clean things up in the midfield, you lost a little bit more bite. On, on the pressing defensive side with having Royer on there, but even more so you lost that, 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 tra- uh, that bite in transition. And I think we saw that we, we, the team started looking slower and a little more sluggish when Rory came on there, because we've talked about this. If Royer's not up top, he's, he really doesn't do much. So for me, it's not just about that defensive mid pairing of, of, of having uh, uh, uh and, and, and Sean Davis, who, again, I think this game on two different points of the game, showed why that pairing is so important to to dealing with teams playing, uh, trying to play direct, but also what happens after that? What happens after you win those second balls and third balls? Because that, it's not over. One, once, you win, once you win those moments, there's a whole lot of work to be done when you start going forward. And now that's a whole slew of pieces that, that, that we could talk about, but just dealing with teams trying to play direct – Dealing with teams trying to bypass the press worked so well last year simply because we had a pairing in the most crucial spot to deal with that. And when you don't have that, well, you have what we what we've seen pretty much this whole season, which is a team that looks like a mess. If you look at the only other game that we saw uh, uh, Castro's was against Columbus. We didn't even look that bad against Columbus. We actually looked pretty good. Our transition was good, and and the team just generally looked. Okay, and I don't think it's a coincidence that that was also a game where where Castro's was playing, where we were able to win those things, you know, uh, in in uh, in the midfield. Yeah, you know, certainly, like a, it was kind of alarming 
uh, I wouldn't say alarming, actually. I'd say it was kind of encouraging for the first 15, 20 minutes of the game. Is like you say, we, we were able to exert a level of influence in midfield that we hadn't really seen all season from the other midfield pairing, right? Like, I think, you know, we were controlling the tempo. They were playing the game on our terms. But, of course, as, a, as you mentioned, like, that all changed when Shakur, yes, this is Metro Fan TV, so what is Metro Fan TV without <laughs> a little segment on Alex Wheel when Alex Wheel went down? And, you know, I think that was the kind of, like, a banner game for him, you know? Like, you talk about playmakers, you know, I think um, I kind of touched upon this in the past on the podcast, but, you know, I think you ha- kind of have to look at, um, you know, some someone as a playmaker who's more than someone who picks out that killer pass into the striker, right? Especially when you're playing a high pressing system like this, that that word begins to encompass a whole bunch of new things, you know, like you can have someone in the context of the high press be a playmaker because they understand and they generate a lot of turnovers high up the field, you know? And I think that's exactly what you kind of saw from Alex Mule when he was at his best, you know? I think it's not a coincidence that we saw a lot of that intensity in the opening 15, 20 minutes lost after he went down to his ankle Mm -hmm. injury. You know, I think it's really good that he ended up ultimately being day-to-day because, you know, I think that combination of Caceres next to Mule added a lot of that bite that we'd been kind of missing so far, you know, in midfield. We saw the wood, the wood chipper kind of come back for about 15, 20 minutes before it disappeared, like after meal went down, as you mentioned. And I think for that, like, I think uh, of all this considered, like, you kind of have to think that if all the players that started in the 11 were a fit to go against Kansas city. You kind of have to trot that same lineup out if you ask me. Um, But I think I'm going to shift our focus a little bit to uh, some of the things that are definitely still kind of like a work in progress, if you ask me. And I think on the day itself, two things kind of cost us, you know, and I'm still very kind of worried about the attacking movement because I think, um, once, um, as you mentioned, once Royer came on, like they definitely started looking a bit sluggish again, and the team ended up looking like they're kind of caught in two minds. You know, I think BWP had another really mm-hmm. rough game. I think didn't really quite, um, didn't quite, I didn't quite manage to, uh, you know, I think really generate any semblance of threat i think on or off the ball which is kind of worrying for a player of his stature definitely because of how much you're starting to see um how because i think how much in previous years we've seen teams right teams that we're going up against um kind of open themselves out up because they're so scared of bwp that they kind of follow him wherever he goes and it opens up space for other teammates on the field you know i think having bwp no longer seeing struggling doing that doesn't open up the space for Royer. It takes up, you know, it takes Kaku out the game a little bit with BWP dropping back because now BWP is in Kaku's wheelhouse and he's not really in the place where Kaku can really pick out a pass or, uh, you know, just generally try stuff. And, you know, I mean, I thought like that, I mean, I thought that Jorgensen being in there kind of 
would ideally kind of uh, mitigate this a little bit by giving BWP an additional outlet in Nebastu. And, you know, I think there was one moment in the game where that kind of worked because BWP did generate a turnover into press that he slotted into Jorgensen on the run, on the break. But that definitely still seemed to be a bit of a work in progress. You know, I think you can definitely see that Jorgensen's still a little bit yeah. raw. You know, I don't think, really think that he's someone that um, that really kind of needs that that's kind of ready to start as a lone striker you know and i think with how much someone like him kind of looks to rely on having a strike partner like i think it definitely does kind of forebode that this jorgensen signing was going to be a was going to foreshadow a formation switch you know and i think now i think when it comes to talking about trying to fix the attacking movement i think it kind of this is kind of kind of kind of a red button issue and i think i didn't anticipate that it would come this quickly into season but i genuinely think now at some point in the coming weeks if this doesn't pick up you kind of have to consider sitting bwp which where was a phrase that i thought was kind of like unthinkable going into the season but it definitely looks that way. You know, I, I, what I'm kind of curious now is what it's going to look like putting Jorgensen next to, say, a Brian White, who kind of offers more in his hold-up play and his ability to link the midfield with the attack, like, in a much better capacity. You know, I think it definitely is calling out for someone who can take up more of that, you know, playmaking burden that Chris Armas is trying to introduce to a striker, which I don't necessarily agree with. But if you are going to play this way, I think... You know, just being straight up, like I think from what we've seen from Brian White, he's definitely more of like this hold up striker, sort of who's kind of fills that false nine role very well. You know, like I think uh, just seeing the way he moves in the press, he's going to offer, I think, a bit more in the press. I think he definitely, um, his, his movement's smart enough where like he can link with a strike partner, definitely. He showed it in Red Bull 2 with Tom Barlow, right? I think against um, Memphis, I think a couple of weeks ago. And I think this kind of has to be one of the first steps in trying to unfuck the attacking movement. Because I think there's been something that's been... Because I'm going to echo something now that's been mentioned in a bunch of other podcasts. Like, the team still seems to be kind of caught in two minds of whether it wants to be a possession team or it wants to be a pressing team. And I really do think that a lot of this, the, the lack of intensity that we've seen from the top in the press kind of comes down to the fact that Brad's just kind of lost what remained of his physical ability, like I think a bit sooner than we realized. And that we now may be best served trying to play someone who offers more of that than what Brad in his much reduced state can you know, I think that's one of the things I'm going to throw out there. It might be time to start changing up the strike partnership. Stick a four triple two, but maybe try White and Jorgensen and see what happens. You know, I think I think much can be really lost. Or maybe tr- throw out BWP and Brian White, one of those. Someone who can offer more of that, you know, who can offer more in the way of playmaking from up top, both in terms of the press and in terms of like a, you know, link up. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, um, I, I get the sense that, that nobody in in the in the team thought that Brad would kind of start off as bad as he has. Um, I, I mean, it's in, it's entirely possible that he's doing perfectly fine in training, and for whatever reason, it's just not translating into 
into uh you know into the actual games which i mean it happens if you know brad last year was last year was, was kind of an anomaly with him actually starting pretty strong um but this just feels different we've talked about this before where there's something off there's something different about about brad this year with him starting as slow as he has where like at least before he was getting into good spots you know he was a bit unlucky and stuff this year he just he just doesn't look like he's playing well and, and i think uh, I think a lot of that kind of chaos we're seeing um, in the midfield and and that that lack of bite that we've had and all the problems that were that we've seen in the midfield is spilling into into the attacking side and and you know causing him to drop back and 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 now fall into Gaku's space and um, you know it's just it there, there's a lot I we we. We 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 kind of talk a lot about the system and the system and 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 look I'll just I'll just say this again and I've said it I've said it before and a lot of people have said this but the system is the playmaker right yeah you have of course you need individual players and ultimately at the end of the day the individual players are the ones who are on the field but the system itself is the playmaker the whole the whole concept of pressing hard to 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 win possession and to to have an immediate quick transition move the ball in, in, as, in as few amount of passes as possible to go right to goal and to score and, and create chances. That's, that's, that's the system as a playmaker. Whether or not those guys individually can, can execute those things, of course, will determine how well or how poorly the system is on the day. And I think we've seen a lot of, a lot of pieces, especially in the midfield, kind of create these, 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 uh, um, create these negative things happening that again are kind of trickle trickling up up forward in, uh, into the attack so i it's look it's possible that 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 what we're seeing with brad's decline is not just him that it is a systematic thing where again because there's so much going on before he even gets a chance to get the ball that maybe that's what's causing him to drop back and it's not a tactical thing that they're trying to do it's, you know they're not ta- instructing Brad to kind of drop back and collect the ball or play out wide. He's just getting frustrated and doing it. And I think maybe this game was kind of a sign of that possibly being the case because Brad really wasn't dropping back that deep, at least not as much as he was before this game compared to uh, uh, to the previous games. He wasn't drifting out wide uh, as frequently as he was in the previous games because the midfield, again, up until the point where Roy got hurt, the midfield was was pretty solid. That you know, we we saw probably the most the best resemblance of how the system is supposed to be um, in the first twenty or so minutes before we all got hurt. So to me, that's a positive sign. To me, that shows that okay, maybe some of the things we're seeing isn't some weird tactical changes that Chris is trying to do, but it's just a result of of too many critical parts of the system kind of just not not being in sync. Even the possession stuff. When in that first 20 minutes and even in the last, I say, what, maybe 20 or so minutes when um, when uh, um, when Epson and Etienne came in, like the team actually started looking better again, a team where, you know, they were playing more aggressive. They were, I felt like they were pressing better. The transition was a little quicker. So it's maybe 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 this game is kind of a little bit of a glimpse that it's not just. Um, again, it's not just Chris dishing out these weird, you know, tactical, uh, uh, tactical nuances to the system, and it's just a result of things kind of just um, being a little, a little bit of a mess. And we saw 
the 442 diamond working pretty well. We saw it not working well when the wrong piece was in there. We eventually saw them kind of switch the formation again towards the end of the game where they looked pretty decent. So I, I think there's a lot in this game when it comes to kind of evaluating what's going on with Brad, what's going on with certain other players, what's going on with the tactics. Um, I, I, I think at the end, though, I kind of rambled there a little bit, but I, I think in the end – what we're at the very, very top, what we're seeing is a lot happening in very crucial parts of the field, specifically with Brad. I, I don't think anyone expected him to kind of decline the way he did, even if it is a systematic thing. I think he just is playing differently and not as he just doesn't look as good as he did before. And I'm not quite sure if, if Jorgensen is kind of ready for that kind of responsibility. I mean, you can kind of just throw them in there. So now the big question is, okay, do they decide to just bench Brad and go with a, and just play with a single striker setup and just throw, you know, Jorgensen in there and, and see how he does? The four four two or four triple two look whatever they were actually playing um, looked pretty solid when we did have two strikers. So do you still bench Brad? And now, like you had suggested, do you put Jorgensen and maybe White or maybe promote Barlow or some shit? I don't know. But I'll, this is, I think, going to be. Uh, an interesting, an interesting uh, period of the season where you saw glimpses of what could potentially be the future, and if that future involves BWP or not, I think is a legitimate question. I, I don't know if, I don't know if if we're going to see Brad as a starter by comes the summer. If 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 the four, if Chris, if Chris saw the four four two, just in terms of the system working right and if he really is still all in on the system and he sees that the 442 or the 4222 is where they direction they want to go i can honestly see him making the decision to just bench brad and and figuring out a better striker partnership because i'm not quite sure if that striker partnership is going to work because jorgensen still has to prove that he can score goals and if you're dropping your best goal scorer back to kind of help out a little bit with that transition and, and, and kind of set up Jorgensen a little bit more. If he's not good enough at the end to score the goals, I, I don't know. I don't know where that leaves us. I mean, I certainly thought that Jorgensen was a signing that was made for a pressing team, right? Oh, like, I mean, if you look at his, I mean, if you look at his profile of how well he managed to hit teams and transition when he had a moment to kind of just run at them with the ball at his feet, like you could kind of see that he was kind of made with the expectation of the midfield or like the team in general, just being able to create more of those pressing transition opportunities. Mm -hmm. You saw a little glimpse of that. I thought in that first half when he had that breakaway off that BWP turnover, yep. but, and I think like, I think you're talking about the system being in disarray and that's, what's kind of throwing a lot of people off. You know, it's not just Jorgensen. I think um, walking it back to um, walking it back to, I think what you mentioned about, um, uh, substitutions in the second half right when uh, marcus epps came on for amir um epps actually displayed a weapon that i actually didn't realize was kind of missing until like fairly recently and that was that you know that really nice little late run um in the right hand channel when the ball creeps into the center right that amir generally used to make you know like those very those marauding forward thinking runs on the right hand side that strangely enough I, I i think we haven't really seen much of like when amir's played like other than 
I think uh, against um, San Jose, you know, when San Jose were giving like r- r- space and abundance to our wingers to just send crosses into the box. And I think one of the more low key, like systematic issues that we haven't really touched on is that, I mean, the whole team in general just kind of seems a bit low in confidence right now, but Amir, especially so, in my opinion, like, I think, um, you know, I think he, like, I think for some odd reason, like uh, they're not really, the fullbacks aren't really pushing up as high as they did last season, whether that's kind of like a, you know, it's a general, um, you know, I think a general uh, inability of the midfield to help cover up like uh, those spots uh, on like uh, the center wide channels, right on the field. instead of like the outermost channels, Mm -hmm. like the sort of like uh, ones in the center that flank the actual middle part. You know, I think, um, you know, I think you could see that, you know, this could be something that comes down to spacing issues as well. And uh, when Epps came on and kind of like displayed a lot of that verve that had been missing from out wide, right? Like, I think that's kind of, you realize that actually like these systematic issues that we've noting, we've noted, I think, from the midfield and generally not having anyone who can cover the amount of grounds to, ground that Tyler Adams did is starting to affect players in other ways. You know, like I think you see the fullbacks dropping back a bit deeper, not really playing on the edge of the opposition box like they did last year, right? And that's kind of taken away a very potent weapon that has served this that served this well for most of 2018. And, you know, I think it, it, it's just proof once again that this team is at its best when our fullbacks are playing with confidence, knowing that they can go forward, knowing that there's someone to kind of clean up, right? And I think this is how you start to see all these little things start to affect other little things in the way that this team wants to play. And I think, like, I'm starting to come around to this fact that, like, since there are so many things kind of out of sync right now, because I think we didn't just lose one key player in the offseason, Tyler Adams. We kind of lost another, and we didn't realize it until now in BWP. You know, I think all these kind of things are kind of combining together, and the team still hasn't really figured out a way to play without them, in a way, right? Without them at their best, so to say. And then to kind of build on this um, this thing about the defense a bit more, I think, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm still quite disappointed in the way that we ended up conceding those two goals you know like those were goals that were utterly preventable and kind of two games in a row now were just some i don't know like would you describe it as dumb fuckery at the back yeah. right costas just you know i mean just plain and simple like dumb fuckery at the back costas for a second game in a row i mean depending on what what you want to say about the social question goal maybe three you know i think it's kind of worrying for me to see the back four kind of be a bit as kind of out of sorts as they were, you know? And I think I'm going to raise the question now that I'm not really sure who's taking charge of organizing that back line, or if this is part of like this bigger issue with the system at large, you know, where you're dropping deeper to try and counter some of these direct balls or they're dropping deeper because they're, they're a bit worried being caught out of position, pushing high as a result of a lack of like someone in midfield to cover your ground. Like, I don't know. But I don't know. It's just very. This they, they don't really seem to be playing with the high level of organization or the high level of confidence that they were playing with last yeah. year. Regardless, and I, I don't really know 
what the remedy for that is other than the team just trying to learn how to, I don't know, trust each other more? Yeah. I, I, I mean, some of the mistakes we've seen this year that that's that's directly resulted in goals. I mean, those are things that we saw over the course of 46 games last year. We saw maybe three times, four times, like, shit, fuck it, maybe five times all last year across all 46, uh, 46 you know, games. I mean, look, people are going to do something stupid once in a while. No, no one's immune to that. But, I mean, we're, what, five games into the season? That's unacceptable. I, I've seen more dumb shit this year than, than I did collectively across all competitions in a 46-game season last year. That's that's unacceptable. And, you know, Amir basically just complete. Amir has been, in my opinion, absolutely horrific this season. He's been absolutely abysmal. Like I, I've been a big defender of 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 Amir. My biggest complaint was sometimes he'll kind of just tune out once in a while, and 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 you know usually we we dealt with that okay. He just he's looked tuned out. Like it doesn't like he's even turned on for the season. I'm not sure if he actually realizes that the season has started. Um, and Parker Parker's Parker's been pretty bad himself too. The, yeah, I wanted to bring up Tim Furbit. You know, for sure. Yeah, but what's what's interesting though is is despite how, and I guess in a weird way, this kind of gives me a little bit of hope. I mean, I'm kind of just, uh, I'm desperate for things to give me hopes, and maybe this is, uh, this is me being a little bit desperate. But one thing I will say is the team hasn't actually given up that many goal scoring opportunities. The team hasn't given up that many go- uh, that many shots. Like, the, what for whatever reason, it's just. What the few chances they are giving to other teams, they're capitalizing on it immediately, and and part of that too is just them doing dumb shit. Parker's, I don't know, maybe Parker can't do a better job than he did uh, uh, last week, but you can't just let that bounce off you and in, in, uh, into goal like that. You kind of just have to be a little more alert. Amir can't just fall asleep the way he did. You know that that those kind of things never. Never used to happen before, you know. And again, if it did, it was very, 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 very few in between. Um, I the or the 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 question raised about organizing is interesting because I think maybe part of that too is just the disarray, and maybe maybe they've never had to, uh, maybe they never had to learn or know how to um, handle that much disarray before and organize that much of a mess you know last year the 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 midfield and and the back line was was tidy there weren't that many moments where things kind of just got crazy where you kind of saw them lost because everything was kind of organized you know everyone everyone knew what their role was and they did it pretty well we're not seeing that this year right with with you know this kind of in a weird way ties in with the whole fullback thing with them not pushing up because look, if teams are if teams are going to play direct, if teams are you know boofing balls out to to you know beyond the the the, the half line, especially if they're doing it on the flanks, I mean you need your fullbacks to be there. You can't just rely on 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 Long and 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 Parker to 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 handle that. So their their starting point is going to be just naturally a little bit further back. Now normally. Fine, you know, last year, no big deal. We can start a little bit further, you know, we can start a little bit further back. And that's that's okay because we now expect to win that battle in the midfield. You know, as soon as it gets to Park or Long or Kamar, their job is to, to get the ball 
you know, further up to let to let your guys win those second and third balls. When you win those, now your fullbacks can push up and go in full attack mode and, and, and go up. When you're not winning those second balls, when you're not winning those third balls, your fullbacks can't push up because all you're going to do is just give more more room to get exposed if the other, if the opposing team ends up winning but also now starts their own transition encounters. We saw that happen a couple of times. So it's 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 possible this is just yet another uh, another result in, in or consequence of just us not controlling the midfield the way we've been able to do it before. Where if we're not again if we're not winning those 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 battles in the midfield, we can't expect our our fullbacks to just arbitrarily start pushing up. They're not going to push up until we win those balls and we start that transition. So maybe once we start looking better in the midfield, we will start seeing our, our attackers, uh, uh, you know, I'm not our attackers, um, our fullbacks, you know, push up a little bit more. And, and, and if they can consistently show that, that they're, that they're winning those battles in the midfield, maybe we can start seeing them be a little more confident. You know, it's, it's, it's possible. A lot of their confidence is being lacked from just, they know they're not winning these battles. You know, they're not winning these, these moments that they're supposed to be creating, in, in transition and, you know, because they've lost so many of those, maybe they're a little bit timid to, to push so far up so quick and so aggressively because in the back of their mind, they're worried about, you know, if, if we give, if we give up possession and, and you know, within a pass or two, we're going to get countered because, you know, we're all pushing up. I mean, there's, there's, we, I think I feel, almost feel like we saw a little bit of that in 2016 too, when, when our back line was an absolute mess where you saw that lack of confidence because that back line just were bleeding counters and they were just bleeding opportunities. You, you, I remember seeing, and I, for me personally, I remember talking about this a lot when, you know, with trying to calm people down with when I, I used to always say, look, it kind of starts at the back. If, if, if everyone, if everyone in front of them aren't confident that the back line is, is going to do their job and, and, and handle the very high risk that they play, it's just going to make everyone in front of them a little more timid, a little more uh, uh, susceptible to kind of, not playing as aggressive as they should. And because of that, things kind of start falling apart because you're not, you're just not going to be as quick as in transition. Cause again, you're, you're a little worried that, that, uh, that, that if, if you give up one bad pass, you're going to get countered. Once we plugged in that hole with Colin, I mean, they immediately woke up. You almost immediately saw them look just so much more confident. They can be aggressive because they didn't have to worry about what was happening behind them as much because they, they felt confident. Maybe this is partly what we're seeing now, but not just, in one spot, but we're seeing it in different spots. You know, the confidence, they don't look as confident in general in the midfield with, with winning those balls. They don't look as confident with, with being aggressive in transition because, you know, their, their passing just really hasn't been that sharp this year. And, 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 you know, once they get up to Brad they're for what, I don't know what it is this year, but even once they finally get to that final third, they can't seem, even this game is an, is an example where they did a lot of good things. Even in those first 20 minutes and the last, say, 20, 30, 20 or 30 minutes when Epson uh, and Etienne came in, they did a lot of good things up until the final – even into the final third. It was just that final pass, that final link-up play, that final piece of movement that was needed just wasn't there. And 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 they just wasted all these opportunities. Yeah, you know, I think I kind of sum it up as being this thing where – you know, like you kind of get away with some of these bad mistakes last year because our attack created enough going forward to kind of make up for that, right? But now the margins are considerably thinner this year because our attack doesn't 
nearly generate near the amount of threat they need to potentially make up for the fact that, you know, I think to potentially make up for the fact that we sh- will ship a goal at the back. You know, Chicago was a perfect example of that. You know, I think a perfectly winnable tie was decided by a really shitty, fluky goal that we kind of dug our own hole because we could, couldn't generate anything going forward in attack. Same thing with Orlando where we could, you know, take our chances. And here in Minnesota, I think like what kind of worried me the most again was just this general inability to generate anything from open play. Like I think, as you said, like the the play was a lot like watching, I don't know, like Louis van Gaal's Manchester United. And uh, yeah, I'm going to delve into Manchester <laughs> United hour on this podcast again, because fuck all of you. Right. Like where the ball movement would generally look quite okay until like it reached the 18 yard box. And then they just kind of start pensively stroking it around the edge. Like, what the fuck? Like, um, like you know, you saw that again in 2017. You've seen this team kind of do that before in 2017 as well. You know, I'd kind of describe, describe it as just being this weird storm with like a, the 2017 attacking movement mixed with the 2016 backline fuckery, right? Like, at any time that you have the worst that those teams kind of had to offer... You're going to lose against fucking yeah. cellar dwellers. And this is what we've seen. Like, it's nowhere near good enough on either side of the ball. Like, I mean, okay, I would say it was a step forward because we have a potential building block to kind of build something now in midfield to restore some confidence to the back line. But the bigger issue for me is how that attack gets sorted out. Because we still, I feel, aren't generating near the amount of threat that we need to be to consistently put ourselves in positions to yeah. win games. You know, like our goal this game came off a set piece, right? We didn't really, I don't remember us generally having that many chances from open play. And that was really disappointing because we shipped two really stupid goals that cost us the game. You know, and I think that's kind of, kind of my homework for this Kansas city game, try and figure out how to unfuck the attack now. So, um, I don't know. Do you have anything to add to this or should we just move on to the stock market? Yeah. The, the only thing I was going to say real quick is, is, you know, I've seen a lot of people bring up about how, Oh, I don't see why this is such, you know, he's playing direct this year is such a problem. You know, we had such a, we, we did such a better job with handling that last year. I just want to slightly push back on that because I think it's a little bit more complex than just, Oh, they dealt with it last year. We, we really did not do that well, even under Jesse against teams at Bunker. Full stop. I don't know where that's coming from that, that we were somehow like picking apart teams that were sitting back. That really never happened. In fact, the teams that did best against us were teams who were were playing direct, teams that were, you know, switching fields relatively often to basically bypass the press. What we did so well last year, however, was not giving teams the ability to your phrase is the right way. What the team did was not giving teams enough time to capitalize on their bypassing the press. In other words, when teams did try to play direct and did try to do the long balls, we were able to handle that in the midfield. So it wasn't so much the teams were just sitting back and, and we broke through. It's when teams try to play as direct as they are now, 
we handle it simply because we were able to we played our best we 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 had us we had guys in a field who can can who could manage those moments win those second and third balls and we had guys who fit well enough to help with those transitional moments where we didn't give them a chance to sit back and i think that's the difference there's a difference between teams wanting to play back teams sitting back teams just full on sitting back and bunkering i, I would love for someone to 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 tell me when we continuously successfully like broke that last year. I, I don't, I, I can't, I think maybe Chicago, I think. And actually was, I think that was, that was one Chris took over. I don't remember any team in the first half where, where a team was just flat out sitting back and like, we, we broke them. We broke them through teams that played direct against us again. Yeah. We dealt with it better just because we had a better handle on the midfield wasn't some crazy tactical change or or from last year to this year. I just think we had the personnel to kind of handle that a little bit differently. That's the only thing I just wanted to to, to say real quick. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, talk about personnel, having the personnel to handle it. I mean, it just kind of goes back to what we've been drilling on this particular episode, and that's kind of having someone who can handle, who can regularly fight for and win second and third balls. You know, windows midfield battles. And it kind of begins there. Like maybe hopefully Davis and Caceres is it because I think we started winning a lot more of those battles. And hopefully that starts to translate into results, I guess. Um, so I think without further ado, I think we'll just kind of give out some quick stocks because we do have a game against Kansas City that we kind of want to get to. Um, so quick stocks for me. I mean, uh, the obvious stock ups for me were going to be Caceres and Wheel. And uh, the downs for me, I'm just going to reiterate. I'm going to give it to uh, Tim Parker and Amir. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to give it to BWP. And, you know, I guess Jorgensen as well, because I think it's kind of clear that just on the topic of Jorgensen, like, I don't know if he's quite, um, he looked a bit raw. So maybe, like, I don't really think that he's ready to kind of handle, like, a lone striker role. I think you can try him into two striker role and see how that fits. Maybe, maybe involve get him a different strike partner and see what that looks like but i have my reservations about how matt matthias jorgensen is going to work in a lone strike formation so he kind of gets a stock down for me maybe not as much as some of the uh other um players but so maybe i'll give him like a half stock down yeah so i'm gonna get my stock up to uh tim wheel um i i, I don't think I'm not sure how many people he convinced that he was, uh, how important he is to the system. But for anyone who actually understands how the system is supposed to play, I think they saw how important Wheel is to it. Because once he came off the field, the the, the team looked like considerably different almost instantly. Um, so it's definitely a stock up from Wheel. Um, Caceres, huge stock up. I, I think I think uh, I'm gonna go. My my today's hot take is Christian Caceres is gonna be the guy who could potentially make or break our season. Um, uh, I'm actually going to give a stock up to Chris. I, I hammered him last week, de- wow. deservedly so, but I'll tell you what. And, and I had mentioned this last year that the one thing I liked about him was he, he wasn't, he didn't seem to be stubborn. And I think this, I, maybe he's not as, maybe he is in fact, not stubborn. I'm going to give him a stock up because he played Christian Caceres. And he went into this game with something different. 
he 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 went into this game with with a with a with, with a different formation. He he basically he built the formation and the roster for the system. And to me, that's important. And that they played like they were supposed to. They played like they wanted to play the high press at, at, at the moment that whistle blew. So for me, that's important because it shows that he does have commitment to the high press. He does have commitment to figure out a way to make sure this system and his style of play is able to work. Was it was it fully executed? Unfortunately, no, because you know we got hurt. Shit just happens during the game. It's the first time we've seen this, you know, that lineup and that formation. But I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him credit for for doing that. I'm going to give him credit for 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 actually making a substantial change to try to spark something different. Um, and I'm going to give stock up to Epps. I think I think Epps has now a couple of, in, in his few appearances this year. I think he's shown pretty well. I think for the most part, when he's come, when, when, when he's gone onto the field, he's added something. Even if he wasn't creating a lot of chances or something, he, I, I feel like he's a guy that could eventually kind of mold himself into someone who is going to be maybe a first thought off the bench. So I, I thought, I thought he did, uh, he did all right. Um, stock down is, is going to be uh, Amir. Dude. What the fuck are you doing? Seriously, like to, that that game was the culmination of, of just how I felt about him this whole game, uh, this whole season so far. Just he just looks asleep. I don't know where his mind is, but that those his positioning and those two goals were absolutely inexcusable in any way, shape, or form. And and again, Parker, just another one, another howler of a performance. Um, I'm tempted to give Brad uh, a stock down. Um, but I'm I'm gonna hold off just because this is probably uh, this is probably the best he's looked I think all season. You know, I thought a thought came to me about organization. Maybe I'll give a slight one to Luis Robles because he is supposed to be the captain. Ah, uh, yeah. And it is the goalkeeper's job to do to organize that back line. I mean, you know, like you can talk about players switching off or, um, you know, I think other guys playing down a form, but I mean, you're the goalkeeper and the captain, you know, like you're supposed to be the guy organizing that defense. And when you're shipping goals, the way that we have this season looking disorganized, as we have, you do have to question the goalkeepers organize organizing ability. That so, is yeah, true. I think but... I now coming that come to mind, I will give one to Luis Robles actually. Yeah. So I guess yeah, that kind of does it for the Minnesota Especially game. when, especially oh. when I don't remember if it was one or both, but I definitely, I definitely have this recollection of, of one of the goals. There was enough time where, like, Luis could have and should have been yelling at Amir to get in to get into position because he was just so just so often where he needed to be. And and I don't recall him really just trying to organize in that moment. So yeah, that I mean, yeah. I, I when it comes to organizing, I usually have a little bit of a long leash with Luis just because the there's just such a, a massive gap in between where he is and where the back line is because they do play such such a high line usually really hasn't been the case this year but because it hasn't been the case this year I expect him to be able to communicate better and he doesn't seem to really be doing a good job of that at all this year yeah uh so yeah that kind of does it uh for the Minnesota game uh, we'll be looking forward to uh the game on Sunday, 
in the U.S., yep. right? It's Sunday yeah. evening, I believe. Yeah, uh, Thai in the barbecue capital of America, Kansas City, Kansas slash Missouri. Um, they're both two, two, two parts of the same shitty coin anyway. Who gives a <laughs> shit? Um, the only good thing about that city is the barbecue. And um, yeah, that's basically about it, really. It's the only thing I remember. Um, oh, wait, no, the fans were nice. So a shout out to Casey Cauldron for being really, really nice to us while we were there. Um, but, okay, I guess um, we come into this game at Children's Mercy Park kind of knowing that it hasn't been the most kindly of venues to us. Um, SKC in general have been a very tough opponent for us in, re- in recent years. Generally quite tough to beat. And, um, you know, this will, I think this is the first time, actually, that we'd be visiting Children's Mercy Park since, cover your ears, kids, the 2017 U.S. Open Cup Final. So, (sighs) a revenge game two years (laughs) in the making, maybe, I don't know, man. Um, So, the major team news, I think, going into this uh, fixture was the fact that Peter Vermes played a mostly first-choice lineup against Monterey at home in the CONCACAF Champions League and proceeded to get absolutely binned once again by uh, Rayados uh, losing 5-2 in midweek and 10-2 in aggregate. Talk about an Arsenal scoreline, man. Jesus. Again. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful scoreline. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've never seen the aggregate board like hit double digits. And now I've seen it happen twice in like three years. And you know, like I just want to say that I'm thankful that I got to witness this moment twice. <laughs> that was that was pretty great. Um, yeah, so to solve MLS, uh, you listened this far into the episode. Just tweet sixty nine at Don Carver. <laughs> Fuck this stupid league. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I guess the big factor going into the game against Kansas City is going to be the question of how fatigued they're going to be in the lineup that Peter Vermes trots out. He I mean, I I th- we know that this is a Kansas City team that is capable of doing some cool stuff in offense, shall we say? Right? I mean, they destroyed Montreal. Like, what was it? Seven one? Yeah, game? yeah. That one game? Like, like man, like talk about a murder. Like they're on the receiving end and on the dealing end of two separate murders. Right? <laughs> so. Win some, you lose some kids. Um, other than that, I mean, I think we can. You kind of, you kind of know who the best players are at this point. Like we, we know exactly what's going to coming from Peter Vermes, right? Like, uh, can expect some good stuff from Johnny Russell, who's been in really good form to start the season. League play, Christian Namath returned to Kansas City to a coach that knew how to use him, and suddenly he looks like a magician mm-hmm. again. And. Um, you know, they have some pretty solid role players as well. You know, I think you have to shout out, um, you know, Roger Espinosa, who always has a rocket in him from deep. Got to shout out someone like um, Gerso Fernandez, who's actually been a pretty... And Felipe Gutierrez have been very good additions to that, um, you know, to that team over the years. So, oh, I mean, you can say that this is a very... Even though, like, they don't have, like, a quote-unquote star player like they're a team full of very good players at at basically almost every position on the field you know like strength and numbers and all that quality 
very well spread out throughout the team, you know, I think, um, so all things considered, um, going into this lineup with the form that we've been in, the prognosis isn't great <laughs> now, is it to be very frank with you? And a lot, I think on the day is going to come down to how much they're willing to win the fight in midfield. I think potentially against, I think it's, uh, let me see what, I think it was Ilya Sanchez, right? And um, and I think a lot of how much this game is going to go down is, you know, I think stressing on things that we've already talked about in this episode, you know, like how well they're up to win that battle in midfield against what is a very solid midfield three in Ilya Sanchez, Roger Espinosa, and Felipe Gutierrez. You know, like those are three very good players in there. You know, it's going to be a real test of what Davis and Caceres are made out of, you know, because I think like, you know, despite the fact that they were winning a lot of, they showed a bit more steel, a bit more verve in midfield, like the quality of Minnesota United's center midfield is nothing compared to the quality that Sporting Kansas City have there, right? When they're in full flow. And, you know, I mean, like you can look at Sporting's um, position at the table, you know, like they're in seventh place in the West right now. But, you know, like this has mostly been to, yeah, I mean, there's seven plays in the West on eight points, but this is mostly because of CCL rotation, I feel. So they've trotted out some uh, pretty understrength lineups in recent weeks. So um, I guess it really depends on what lineup we see against us because their their second string 11 isn't quite as strong as their first or string 11. But regardless, this is is a... we're playing this team on tired legs if they do tread out their starting 11 anyway. And they're going to be quite, I don't know, I mean, like you could say, like it could be demoralizing having just been embarrassed by Ray Addos in the CONCACAF Champions League. But you know, it could also be the flip side of this, it could be very well fired up, looking to bounce back by getting a good result at home, you know. And I think that that's kind of going to be the factor other than the midfield battle for me if we want to get a result from this game. Um, yeah. So I think it's just going to be a really good test of uh, what this new midfield pairing is going to look like, as well as potentially if this formation change results in the full Wood Shepherd press coming back, like we saw the first 15, 20 minutes. You know, I think it's definitely going to be one of those um, progression games. It's a litmus test kind of to see what the future with this lineup looks like. Yeah, I was, I'm very surprised that, uh, that they're that low on um, in the standings. I mean, it, CCL, CCL. So I, I get it, but they're definitely uh, they're definitely not a seventh place in the West team. I, I'm they're they're. I'd be shocked if they didn't finish uh, if they didn't finish at least top three in in, uh, in the West. They're a very good team, and they're they're usually consistently a pretty good team. Um, you know, look, e- even at our best, it it's a tough game to walk into. You know, it's a tough a tough place to play. Um, their home record is usually pretty well. And again, they're just usually a, a, a pretty solid team. Um, the good thing, though, about this, and what gives me a little bit of hope, is I feel like this is the first team we've played against this year that I feel confident that they're not going to play cowards. They're going to go in there and they're going to want to play against us. They're home. They're a good team. I, I see no reason why Kansas is going gonna, is gonna to decide to just randomly change how they play, which is also a little bit of a pressing, you know, a pressing style. Um, to suddenly start trying to play direct and play long balls and stuff like that. So I have hope that this is the kind of game that um, 
I'm not going to say falls into falls into to uh, into our hands, but definitely potentially a confidence booster. Um, you know, if they go in there and and Kansas shows that they want to play, and we can match that and do well, that could potentially go a long way. And I and I, and I think not just for for the players, but even for the fans, right? If we go in there, and we see and we see Kansas trying to play the way they normally play, aggressive, going after the game, and we see our guys respond equally, even if the result ends up not being favorable, I think just the optics of seeing us play like us again against a good team would hopefully kind of temper things a little bit. But as far as the players, maybe give them confidence. Like, look, okay, you know, you kind of struggled against shitty teams, but, you know, being the first real, in my opinion, real uh, uh, a test in the MLS season, at least, um, you know, if, again, if they do well, then, then, you know, maybe, maybe that could, could be a little bit of a turning point. And, and, you know, we went into, this team went into Mexico and dropped two goals on them within a couple of minutes. And I think that in, in, in those first couple of minutes, we saw, we saw us, right? Like we were playing with energy. We were playing the way we expect this team to play. So we know they have it in them. We know they have it in them. So maybe it's going to take a, t- a game like this against a, a, a high-level opponent um, who, again, wants who wants to play. They don't want to play like a bunch of cowards to, to maybe spark uh, spark that fight and spark that 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 um, that that thing that's kind of been missing. Forget the the roster and lineup and formation stuff. There's just there's a level of confidence and, and like aggression that that I feel on the mental side has has been kind of lacking. So. Yeah, maybe this is maybe this is what the uh, what this team needs, you know, to to go into a tough game like this. That I'm going to say, I know it's only April, but it, it's a, it's a must win game. I did or, or, or standing wise, I feel like this is a must win. Even a draw would be great at this point, but I, I don't think we should. I don't think we should. We should. Uh, we should, you know, stray away from saying that this is a big game. If we lose this game, that's not good. Even if they do look good, like great, it'll be good for confidence and whatnot. But for for, for the standings, and I'm not, I'm not. This that they got it. They have to get a result today. So if uh, yeah, if they can go there and 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 show something, show something good. Show show us the Red Bulls that we expect every single game, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the opposing team's tactics. Regardless of anything, show us a team that we that we expect to see every day. And if there's a team that can bring them out of it, it it's I, I feel it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be Kansas City. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, ideally, like you do. I guess I could excuse, you know, like a poor. Okay, I mean, like I could excuse a poor result on the basis of it's looking good, right? If they play balls to wall EDS for ninety minutes. And uh, they lose because, like, I don't know, like, um, someone accidentally kicks the ball into their own goal in, like, the 91st minute. <laughs> and, okay, whatever. That's a shit. That's just a shit loss, right? Last thing, I'd, uh, what I don't want to see is sort of, like, this same kind of lifeless shit that we've kind of yeah. been seeing the first <laughs> few games of the season, right? Like, I mean, I don't want to look at, have us look like we're just kind of sleepwalking through on offense again, because I'm going to be quite frank with you, like watching this team in attack this year has been like trying to pass a kidney stone <laughs> like, sometimes, right? Like if the full 
press comes out and we look like we're creating opportunities on the transition and we look like a team like with renewed vigor, okay, sure, whatever. I don't care about the result then. But if it's the same old, but it's going to be the same schlot that's been trotted out for the first few weeks, I'm not a fan, right? I can excuse one month of bad results. I can't excuse two. Simple as that. The bar is high for me this season. It's going to remain high until further notice, you know, and I think coming around in this fact that I'm not going to accept, you know, um, two shit months with the amount of talent that this team has. You know, I don't want to have to sit through two months of just like uninspiring soccer. You know, like I think this team is capable of so much more than that. And if they show like they're progressing towards that point where they can start, where they where they look reinvigorated, then okay, great. Can just put it up to early season woes, put it up to slow start. But if by the end of April we don't look like we've made progress in that department, that's where I'm going to start to be really, 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 really pissed off, right? And it's going to turn into the Metro Fan TV that people were expecting last year, <laughs> right? So I guess that's my. So I guess that being said, I think like that's sort of like a my my goal for the game, you know, like just put put. Long story short, like I'm going to echo Fernando in this one. Just put out a result that we can, just put on a performance that we can be proud of. Okay, like <laughs> at this point, like we just want to see, like, like that that there's been progress made in the past few weeks. Yeah, I mean, look, m- moral victories don't don't give you points, but I think at this point, I think this way most people would agree that I I, I would be okay with the moral victory. <laughs> You know, if, if they, if, you know what, if, if remember the game last year against uh, Sporting Kansas City, we, we did lose, uh, I think we lost that game three to two, right? Or did we come back and win that one? No, we won. Yeah, we came back. That, oh, that was the, um, that was RZA. That was the RZA Golasso. Yes. Game. Yes. So, I mean, if it's something, I don't even want a game like that actually. Now I think about it because we, we looked like shit in the first half and then we just kind of looked possessed. I think that second half against Sporting Kansas City was, Outside of maybe the 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 derby game against uh, these fucking losers across the river, um, probably the most EDS we've ever looked. I mean, we they looked fucking just possessed in the second half. But I'm not even sure if I would be happy with that because that would involve looking like shit again for another half. I want this team to look to have life for 90 minutes. If if you show me that, if if they go and they show. That that they show that 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 EDS that we, that we expect, and we show and we just see a good performance, and and you know what, they're just a little bit unlucky this time, you know they're, they're creating good goal scoring opportunities, and and uh, what's the, what's their keeper, um, Emilia, yeah, and he just has a fucking just he just has himself a night, and 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 he's just making unbelievable saves, and we just can't get you know we can't get those winning goals across. I would still be okay. Again, it'll be a moral victory, and that doesn't get you points, but at least I can take that and see what I saw against Minnesota, and I can kind of piece together, okay, the team that we expect, that we expected this year, is there. For whatever reason, it's it's not out, but it's there. And maybe that can give the hope that I mentioned, you know, uh, opening the segment, maybe that's that's the hope that we need. Maybe that that's what we need to see and the team needs to see to kind of just start building on that confidence 
uh, uh, to, to maybe start turning the season around. Um, if they go in there and they and they look like shit again for even just a half, I don't even care if they look good in the other half, or if they look like shit the whole game, they look disjointed again, then serious questions were more than warranted already. But I think at that point, I, I would be I would be completely okay with any conversations about certain people being in a hot seat because that would be unacceptable. Um, so yeah, I guess that brings us uh, to the mailbag this uh, week because I don't really have anything else to add. Do you? Like, I think... no. I think no. Yeah. Oh, you know, I just random funny tidbit that I want to I want to mention. So, so, Sporting Kansas City absolutely rocked Deluca, right? And then it got rocked by Monterey. <laughs> Monterey, Deluca beat Monterey like five nothing or five to one just a couple days ago. It's just fucking funny how soccer works sometimes. That's the circle of life, baby. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play Elton John to like play out the episode. I think at the end, because yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, isn't that the isn't the Lion King reboot like the Lion King live action reboot coming out sometime? Oh so, yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's no Detective Pikachu, but hey, you know, uh, <laughs> got to get your money somehow. So. Yeah, on that note, we're all going to move on to the mailbag. So thanks again, everyone who sent in the question. And actually, I believe this is the first on the weekly rundown. We actually have a comment. Someone's left. So this comes from uh, at Nana Man. Probably my favorite handle that consistently pops up in our mentions. Uh, <laughs> I think we have a lot more time than not, considering seven out of 12 teams will make the playoffs. And as long as ATL and the fascists have less points than us, we can still laugh at them. <laughs> and you know what, Kari, I agree. But, you know, I'd rather be us laughing from like a posi- an elevated position. You know, we're, we're, we're like we're at the top of the mountain. We've won a shitload of trophies. We've put the nine curse to bed. We've put the curse of Caracol to bed. You know, we've put the whole... Um, idea that this team is never going to win MLS Cup to bed, you know, like once we've done all that, you know, I'd rather us be in that position laughing down at all the teams groveling at our feet than us kind of being in the pit laughing next to us for being stuck next to, for them being stuck next to us, you know, because uh, considering the seasons that those two guys are having, like, I don't want to be in that fucking tier, man. Yeah, like, I, I, you look, man, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to laugh at them while we're all still at the loser's bar. I want, I want to be in the winner's bar. I want to laugh yeah. at the guys in the loser's bar. But but I will say, though, in, in either situation, at least like, at least we can still laugh at them if we're above them. Yeah. You know, at least we have our own stadium. Yeah. <laughs> and we and, don't play on turf. Or, or in an NFL stadium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I still laugh at this idea. Like, Atlanta fans are totally convinced that, like, if they weren't sharing a stadium with uh, – if that stadium wasn't built for the, for the Falcons instead of them – that they would still have some like super like massive sixty you know thousand seat stadium like guys no you you'd be playing in like a nice stadium still I'm sure but you would not have Mercedes Benz Stadium like eat shit. Well, no, we can really laugh for that long because they are adding that rugby team it seems which would be absolute shit. Oh, I don't even want to get into that right now. <laughs> uh, enough. <laughs> we, we should probably save that for for for, for the next episode about yeah, this. That's gonna fucking... get its own struggle episode. I think. Yeah. Um, Fucking goddamn rugby team at Rebel Arena. Fuck me, man. I swear to God, if Rebel Arena ends up turning, to, if Rebel Arena turns out to be 
like fucking BMO where the field is just an absolute horrific shit show because we're sharing, you know, a stadium with another team. I'm going to be so pissed. I'm going to delete every, just... I'm going to delete every tweet ever, ever made about BMO like a coward. <laughs> I mean, I'd be pissed too. Our, our, our grass is beautiful. I want to see that shit torn up. Yeah. Like we, we have pristine carpet every time we play at Ripple Arena. But anyway, uh, on to some questions now. I, I, real, from... real quick, I do want to address though that, that, you know, it, that is a fair point. Like, I think we have to, like, there's two, for me, there's, I have two mindsets, right? There's, there's winning the shield and then there's everything else to me. And I've, I've been very vocal about this everywhere. To me, the shield is a true representation of, of a great team. If you win the shield, I don't care about the, about the unbalanced schedule. The schedule is unbalanced for everyone. I want to hear the shit. You win the shield. That is the best. That is a, that is the best indication of who is truly the best team in the league. I don't. Or at least you're certainly up there. Yeah, at you this point, we be up there. At this point, the shield is falling further, further away from our hands. So there's what's left is the MLS Cup, and yeah, you know he's right. There's a format change. So seven teams, seven teams make it into the playoffs. Even at six, it would be unacceptable if we didn't make it into the playoffs. If we don't at least finish seventh in the East, I'm, 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 I'm like moving to some fucking like desolate island and i'm just i'm just that's it i'm just gonna live on on, on like a beach and just like that's it I'm, I'm, this is bordering really close and baby i'm yours territory man so we don't want to be in there we don't want to be in there ladies and gentlemen we got him territory yeah. podcast, so. but, but no but, but yeah i mean look there, there there is a lot more time left the the the, the first goal is just making sure you're in, you're in the playoffs right so i, I think I think as long as we're in the playoffs, we have a pretty solid chance. Um, the fact that it's a single single game elimination, we we kind of can't say anymore. As long as you're in the playoffs, you have just as much of a chance as anyone else. I don't think that holds true at all anymore. Higher seeds definitely will have a better advantage. So we still need to make sure that we get results and, and we finish. We need to finish top three, uh, uh, top three in the East. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, as long as you're making it in the playoffs, Anything can happen, so there there is still time to, to to you know kind of wait and see what happens. But you know the shield at the very least is definitely a lot farther a lot a lot farther away than than um than than I would like at this point in the season. Yeah, it'd just be really funny to me if this is the year we win MLS Cup, having like qualified as the seven in seventh place. But yeah, th- this uh, is gonna be the year that everyone gets owned. EDS gets owned and fucking TSM gets owned. TSM's going to get owned because we actually win a cup and we win it on the year of the supposed curse. Then EDS gets owned because we have the most fucking TSM type MLS cup victory where we're kind of a shitty mediocre team. But we somehow win the cup. This, this th- is also, this is also kind of bordering on baby. I'm baby. I'm yours. So I'm like, <laughs> gonna have to cut you off there, man. Sorry. <laughs> it's a no go for me. Um, <laughs> So I guess we'll move on to questions now before we really get out of hand on this podcast. Uh, let's see. Coming from KC Jones at Grateful Shred Jelly Tree, longtime listener. Thank you, KC, for the question. Is this just another slow start for BWP, or did retiring to 99 seal his fate? CCJ has showed some promise, but do you really believe he's further developed in certain aspects than Tyler was? Um, I think the first part, the question we went pretty deep in depth into. So I'm going to touch on the second part a bit more. Um, you know, it's true. I think like he does offer something 
different to what Tyler did, right? Like I think we've said a number of times in the podcast, you know, like CCJ isn't the freak athlete that Tyler is. He's not going to be like this American version of Angolo Kante who's going to be all over the field, winning balls left, right, and center, like fighting for every single second or third ball within his reach, right? Um, watching a lot of anime recently, so uh, My Hero Academia fans, like he is our ingenium, this Tyler Adams. And I would kind of put Christian Caceres as kind of being like our bit more of an anchorman, you know, like this solid, steady guy who does his work by positioning. But what he offers that differentiates himself from Tyler so much is like his passing ability. You know, like he's got a better touch than Tyler. He's a more technically accomplished player, I feel, at his age. And, you know, you can do those movements in the press. You can use those different, like, uh, means, I think, to achieve the same end. You know, it's just that even though they may not necessarily profile the same, they may be able to carry out the same role and function. You know, I think, like, to a degree, like, you have to be excited by Caceres' technical ability, you know, his ability to play forward, pick out a pass from deep in midfield. Maybe once he builds that chemistry with the uh, players for the the pitch, you're going to see some nice stuff. You know, like, maybe he gets the best out of Kaku, lets him stay up a bit more. Um, so I guess in that regard, I would say that his te- the technical side of his game is a bit more developed than Tyler's is. But Tyler definitely had the edge on the physical and like tactical side of things because he was such a perfect fit for what we wanted to do in midfield in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to echo that. Uh, te- te- pure technical abilities, yeah. He's definitely he's definitely further developed than, um, than Tyler. I mean, e- even, even still, Tyler is really, really kind of developing some of the the, the the technical abilities as far as, you know, um, you know, when he does have possession, his ball movement, you know, some of his passing, um, he's getting better at it, definitely. But a, a big part of what Tyler makes, a big part of what makes Tyler Tyler relative to, to, to the system is just how well his his athletic ability and, and, and his his Red Bull, you know, high press type of, of IQ is into the systems. Cause I mean, he, you know, he spent so much time in it. Um, that part, yeah, it's definitely more developed. And, and, and in some ways, casters will never be able to match that. Um, but in pure technical abilities. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've seen enough of him with Red Bull too. And, and, and um, I think even glimpses of just his brief appearances with the, with the first team, I think you, you, you can see uh, his, I think his general soccer IQ is, is a little bit higher and his technical abilities is, uh, is higher um, where he, where he's, where he may not be as developed again is just his maybe his understanding with um, with the Red Bull uh, uh, you know positioning I guess or or, or IQ that he needs um, and just the pure athleticism that he has which he'll never be able you know that part he'll never be able to match but yeah that definitely and and look hopefully we see more of him I, I I hope to see a lot more of him and and he'll be able to kind of demonstrate some of those abilities and maybe people will. Uh, We'll start to, you know, to also notice some of this stuff. As far as BWP, yeah, we touched on it a lot this, um, uh, not just today, but I think the last couple episodes. But one thing I will say is I didn't think so last year. Um, but yeah, they definitely retired that number. I think a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit too early. Yeah. Um, I guess he, he, he used all of his, the, the last embers of his powers to defeat, to, um, snatch, a point on the road in DC. Like I, I realized like after he scored that hat trick in DC, like his production just kind of fell off a cliff. Yeah. So I guess it was a noble sacrifice for the third shield. 
I mean, look at it this way, people. Three goals, three shields. Illuminati, baby. <laughs> three, what is three times? What is three times three? Nine. I'm just That's right. to say that. <laughs> two threes next to each other is two nines. Ninety-nine. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. DC United killed BWP. RIP. Um, <laughs> uh, Next one coming from the Bruce Wayne to uh, the Ben Mind Stan Batman. Enabong Ephraim, what's up? Uh, congratulations on your uh, brief suspension. Um, <laughs> and uh, congratulations on resurrecting your account, I guess. Um, but anyway, do you guys think 4 2 is our new permanent formation, or will Christopher change formations again? Also, how would you feel if it was our permanent formation? You know, I think on the basis of what we saw for the first 15 to 20 minutes against Minnesota, like, just go with it again. You know, I think, like, at this point, the 4-2-3-1 isn't going to work. You know, we're kind of at this weird point of where the 4-2-3-1 was in 2017, where when Jesse reverted to it, it wasn't really quite kicking off. And then he settled on the, that three in the back by, like, I think June when we went on the road in the Open Cup against uh, New England, I think it was. That was in July or June or something. So it kind of took until July for Jesse to kind of settle on something when the 4-2-3-1 wasn't working. You know, I liked what we saw. In the, uh, going to bring it back to 4 2 I think I liked what I saw enough from it in the opening 15 to 20 minutes. And that got kind of confounded a little bit by the fact that Alex Mule had to go off hurt. So I want to see 90 minutes of this formation being played with the personnel that started against uh, Minnesota United before I really come to like a big, con before I start drawing conclusions from it. But just based on what I saw at the opening 20 minutes against Minnesota, it looked promising. Like I, I'd be okay with it for now, but the jury's still mostly out for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we saw. Um, two parts of the the four triple two or or four four two diamond whatever it really really was because it seemed to be a little fluid uh, at times between those two. Um, we saw what happens when you have pieces that that work in it, right? When when we was on there, we we you know, mentioned it before when when you had the right pieces for that for that system that formation that style, we saw that it could potentially work. Not at its best because it, it is possible that the best. The best uh, pairing up top maybe is is Jorgensen and somebody else, or BWP and somebody else, and maybe it, it's not both of them. Um, but there was promise. At the same time, we also saw what happens when you pull an important piece out, and you you kind of disrupt uh, disrupt what that formation should look like by putting Royer, who we've mentioned a million times. Royer, if he's not pushing up as a second striker, he does nothing for us. So. I'm I'm kind of in between. It, it for me to answer that it kind of depends who is going to be in that lineup when we do play that. If we put our best possible pieces, I think that can definitely be uh, finally the moment where we go into into uh, a, a real two striker, a straight up two striker formation from start to finish, um, or at least the majority of the game, you know, fr from kickoff. But it's it's going to depend if if. I mentioned it before, I think, uh, in the last episode, that if if you're going to put that all three of Royer, Jorgensen, and and uh, BWP, those three cannot be in the field at the same time. And I think last week proved that. So do I personally want 
the four triple two or the four four two. Yeah, I would love to finally see that at play because I do think we have enough pieces to make it work. At the same time, I think we have enough pieces to make it not work. So it's really going to be on Chris on 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 how he sees it playing out and how we and how he adjusts um, how he adjusts it. I, I we got to kind of wait and see what happens today. I think before we can really uh, really put you know pass some kind of judgment on that. Uh, final question of the week coming from friend of the show, Tom Bellows. Thanks for the question, Tom. With the relative success of the four triple two, does Rizza still have a defined place on the team as a starter at this point in the year? Um, yeah, this is kind of a sticky one for me. I, I don't really think that his uh, play in the opening, what, five weeks of the season has really merited him keeping a first team spot. Uh, in the starting 11. So I think um, you're going to see him kind of uh, revert a bit more, I think, to that uh, super sub role that he was kind of ushered into in the second half of last year. And I think I think what's clear to me is that if you're going to be playing RZA, you can't play RZA next to Sean Davis. He either has to come on the field in place of Sean Davis, or he has to basically play like alongside, I think, Christian Caceres in some form. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry to say, I think Rizzo kind of has to drop back to the bench at this point. Um, did do Salzburg play four triple two much? No, they usually do a four. They usually do the four four two diamond. I've seen them do like a four four three uh, at times. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't recall them playing like the the Leipzig type of four four triple two. Right. So yeah, I guess like going off of that his track record at Salzburg, like, I mean, he was also kind of injured a lot there. So I don't think he really got a fair run out in the Salzburg squad anyway, but simple fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I think, I don't think he has a place as a starter just because other options have played better than them. And, you know, I think he's got to earn that spot back now. So kind of, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think it depends um, if he's, if he's playing over Davis next to, to, uh, to Castros, sure. I don't think that'll be a problem. Um, I think they would work pretty well and maybe in some ways, depending on certain teams that might actually work better than, uh, um, the Davis and, and Castros. Um, if you know, you're going against a team that's maybe not going to play as direct where you, maybe you don't need, um, where you don't need someone to kind of clean up things in the midfield as much as you do with, 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 uh, um, you know, when you have someone, uh, in a game that kind of needs, uh, a Caceres or an Adams light player, I guess. Yeah. You, you, you know, it would probably work. We've again, we've seen, I mentioned before, we've seen it work before against certain styles when teams just flat up play in the back. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think otherwise now I, I, I'm not confident in 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 um in Riza and David. For me, it's not even a question of of Riza so much. It's just that that the pairing. I, I don't I don't feel I don't feel comfortable with just singling out Riza because I mean Davis also hasn't had that many good games this year. If we're being honest, um, yeah. but I think a lot of that does come down to the pairing. I think I think Davis just does better if he has someone. Um, if he has someone like, like Castros next to him, just like I, I, I'm sure Rizzo would probably do better too if he had Castros next to him instead of Sean Davis. So I'm not, I, I want to see Rizzo 
next to Davis for for a couple of games or even just one full game before I, I can I really like kind of definitively say, yeah, Riz is kind of yeah, he needs to kind of just be pushed off the bench because I think it might be a little bit unfair to single him out and not mention Davis because I really don't think Davis is, has been that well this year either. But we know Davis is a good player. We know Riz is a good player. So I don't think it has to do with them. We talk so much about the system and making sure you have the right pieces. And I think this is one of those things where if you don't have that right piece next to him, whether it's Davis or Riza, it affects them on an individual level. So I don't want to single out just Riza. For me, it comes down to the pairing. If Castris is on the field, it's either Riza or Davis. It can't be both. Yeah, I think I'm actually, I think that's a fair point. I'm going to renege my uh, criticism of everyone's favorite diminutive German. Sorry, Riza. I'll, uh, I'll uh, commit seppuku as a. <laughs> as a offering of forgiveness. So I think that kind of does it for us here on the Metrovan TV weekly rundown. Uh, clocking in at about ooh, 90 minutes or so. Yes. Great. Wonderful. So uh, yeah, Richard, hopefully this uh, move to more economical, um, this experiment, I guess, with our runtime uh, f- makes it a bit more palatable for you guys. Uh, give us some feedback on how you've been uh, enjoying some of these uh, shortened episodes so far. Is it a good length? Is it, um, just fine or do you want us to go or did you like it when we went a bit more in depth uh, let us know in the comments when this episode drops if you want but that being said you know on behalf of me and fernando peace and uh hoping for a good result on sunday in kansas city um yeah in the barbecue capital of america so uh we hope the only thing that gets roasted on the field that day is the opposition that's all i really got to say metro fan tv signing out for the week Bye. Later. Later.